Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the College Football 365 podcast. My name is Don Count Corley. He's Marty Leap, Anthony, once again, not with us, but he'll be with us as we recap week eight this Sunday. Um, but uh, yeah, going re- to preview week eight slate here today. Uh, if you didn't hear our last episode, we did quickly preview the App State and Coastal Carolina game on, uh, that's taking place right now on Wednesday night as well as the SMU versus um, Tulane game happened on Thursday. So we'll start with Friday slash Saturday games here. Uh, but before we get into that, there is some other news to talk about. Um, one thing regarding conference realignment, or multiple things regarding conference realignment, and then actually a recruiting note, which we do want to start getting back into a little bit more going forward. Um, so, Marty, let, let's get right into this conference realignment stuff. Obviously, what started all this was uh, Texas and Oklahoma a couple months ago deciding they're going to move to the SEC uh, in this future. Uh, now we are hearing group of five realignment rumors, uh, and not really rumors. These are things that are going to happen. Uh, the first one, uh, Brett McMurphy reported first here today, I believe. Uh, the American Athletic Conference is going to be adding uh, Charlotte, FAU, North Texas, Rice, UAB and UTSA um, in the future with the hopes that they all begin uh, to play in the AAC beginning the year 2023, so uh, two seasons away. Uh, uh, The AAC, of course, losing a couple teams, including Cincinnati, to uh, the Big 12 here um, in the uh, the future as well. So they're going to replace those, uh, what was it, Cincinnati, who else is going with Cincinnati? Is UCF going Cincinnati? Yeah, UCF is going with Cincinnati. <clears throat> Excuse me. The uh, the AA schools that are going to the Big 12 are Cincinnati, Houston, and UCF. And yep. then BYU is also joining them. Obviously, BYU is an independent. Yeah. But it will be Cincinnati, UCF, and Houston out of the AAC going to the Big 12. Thank you. So, yeah. So, I replaced those. Uh, again, AACs and Charlotte, FAU, North Texas, Rice, UAB, and UTSA. Not exactly um, a bunch of sexy names, per se, program prestige-wise, but uh, there, there are some potential schools here. I mean, FAU is a decent program. UAB, we know their story. They've been really good over the last few years under Bill Clark. And, and UTSA is a team that is in the top 25 right now. Um, so there, there's potential here, uh, but definitely not does not have the prestige of the schools that they are losing. Additionally, um, the Sun Belt uh, is going to be looking to add some teams here in the near future, and it looks like they're going to be adding, uh, or at least adding Southern Miss and Marshall. Both of those teams are uh, looking like they're close to done deals, according to Trey Shop, and then uh, according to Pete the Mel, the Sun Belt's also looking to add Old Dominion and James Madison as uh, well, potentially adding those two schools. Uh, so I threw out a lot right there. Let, let's start, I guess, with the Sun Belt. Um, what's your thoughts on the Sun Belt going after Southern Miss and Marshall? Or with that, any thoughts on Conference USA's um, obvious um, this my, demise here? I mean, first off, for the Sun Belt, I think Marshall would be a terrific addition for them. I mean, it's very quietly, Marshall's always one of the better you know, non-Power 5 programs in the country. 
and I think James Madison also would be a great addition, very similar to when they added Appalachian State. You know, take maybe arguably the best program in the FCS and add them to your conference. That's a win-win situation. As for Conference USA, um, I feel confident saying this is probably the death of Conference USA, and we will go from a group of five to a group of four. Um, when it's all said and done, I know you and I talked about this before we started recording, but you're looking at what? Western Kentucky, Middle Tennessee State, yep. Florida International, and I believe Louisiana Tech is yep. the only school left in Conference USA. So more than likely, this is the death of Conference USA. We're just sad to see a death of any college football conference. But, you know, I think when, when realignment, when all the dust and the dominoes et cetera, you're probably looking at the AAC, the Sun Belt, the MAC and Mountain West as the four remaining non-Power Five conferences. Yeah, I have to agree with you there on uh, that all that, and um, yeah, like um, with Western Kentucky, Middle Tennessee, FIU, and Law Tech, they all really do fit into that Sun Belt region, um, and the Sun Belt even has uh, has some. What is the furthest west the Sun Belt goes? Let me look here quickly. Um, yeah, so yeah, somebody goes as far as uh, San Marcos, Texas. So, uh, I mean, adding a school like Western Kentucky or Middle Tennessee, which um, isn't exactly – I mean, they're in the south, but you know what I mean. Uh, it wouldn't be too shocking there considering the rest of the Sunbelt schools. Um but I, I think adding Marshall and James Madison and Old Dominion are all very uh, solid adds to Sunbelt if they can get all three done. Even if you would take two, three, or just taking Marshall and ODU and Southern Southern Miss is another strong uh, addition there as well. Um, big fan of that. Uh, for the AAC, I, I kind of gave all my thoughts there. Not sexy ads by any means, but there's a couple programs there with potential. Uh, to pay off down the road for the AAC. I think the AAC, though, is definitely going to be taking a, a little bit of a step back in in its uh, pitcher on the national level. Yeah, especially once the AAC loses, these schools are losing. You know, Cincinnati right now, it really does look like they're going to wind up being the first non-Power 5 team to make the college football playoff, which would be a great feather in the cap of the AAC. But when they leave for the Big 12 in a couple of years, what does it really matter, you know? And uh, UCF, the only other school who has come close to making the playoff as a non-Power 5 school, also going to leave. And then Houston, who, you know, they've played, what, at least one New Year's Six Bowl where they beat Florida State, maybe even two. You know, Houston has very quietly had a lot of success in the last 10, 11 years, dating back to the Case Keenum years, and they're going too. So, I mean, yes, AAC is going to bring in some strong schools, but they're losing – what I would argue are definitely their two best schools in Cincy and UCF, maybe the best three in those two in Houston. So ultimately, you know, it's going to be the conference as a whole will regress. But I think if you're an AAC person, you're happy you're adding these schools because it gives you the opportunity to stay afloat as a conference and not just completely get completely gutted by the big 12 or whoever it may be. I agree. Uh, And I think, We'll, we'll be able to talk more about this as we get close to the offseason. Throughout the offseason, there'll be plenty of news regarding realignment. So let's move on into our recruiting tidbit today. Like I said, we want to start talking more about recruiting, especially since we're about to 
get really into the the heart of the recruiting cycle as we get closer to early signing day in December. And uh, today's big recruiting news was that five star five star wide receiver Luther Burden out of East uh, St. Louis and East East St. Louis, uh, Illinois, uh, committed to uh, Missouri today. Over uh, was it today or yesterday? But either way, committed to Missouri over Alabama and Georgia. He's uh, the number five composite player in the country, uh, the number two wide receiver in the country. This is a big get uh, for Missouri and uh, Eli Drinkowitz's program there. Uh, he, he, I know this season has gone to plan for Missouri, but, I mean, he has them with the number 14th recruiting class right now, according to 24-7 Sports, and the number five class in the SEC with an average rating of uh, .9021. I mean, uh, that that's a pretty damn good class here in Missouri. Yeah, if you're Missouri, you'll definitely take that. And, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, I know this is something we talked about a little bit before going on the air, but this is a massive recruiting one for Missouri. Really, the last time you got to go back and find the last time they won a recruiting battle like this was Doyle Green Thompson. And, you know, he was an in state kid. He was class of 2012. In 2011, Missouri won, I think, like eight or nine games, including a bowl game. And uh, 2012 was the last season for them to the SEC. And I apologize, I said Doro Green Thompson, for whatever reason, I meant Doro Green Beckham. Um, but yeah, so this is a huge recruiting one for Missouri and for Drankowitz. Um, I, I do think Eli Drankowitz is a very good coach and a good offensive mind, which probably played a role in this. But yeah, it's it's a big one for the Tigers. And, you know, if you're a school like Missouri, this is the kind of win on the recruiting trail that honestly can make the difference some seasons between going six and six and maybe winning eight or nine games and giving you the ability to potentially upset somebody and continue to set yourself up for further success on the recruiting trail down the road. Yeah, out of um, uh, according to twenty four seven Sports all time commitments for Missouri, uh, Luther Burden is their number two, uh, their their second best uh, commitment ever in the in this modern recruiting era, uh, only behind uh, the aforementioned Doyle Green Beckham. Um, and I, I mean, I'm it's amazing uh, DGB didn't become bigger than he was uh, at the NFL level. I mean, 6'6", 220 is just a freak of an athlete. It's still just mind-blowing size there. Uh, but Luther Burden, yeah, this is a huge pickup for Missouri. And uh, it it tells you for me that Missouri is not going to be a team that just gets walked over on the recruiting trail by all these uh, big, bad teams and uh, the SEC and Big 12. I mean, they had to beat out Alabama, Oklahoma, Georgia, uh, for Burden, and, and they did, which is uh, huge for Drinkowitz and huge for uh, that program overall. It gives them a little bit of momentum here to, as they look to end the cycle, and I don't know if it's going to stay a top 15 um, recruiting class, but it has the chance to uh, end as a pretty highly ranked recruiting class, all things considered, especially uh, when they still have uh, commitments, commitments from uh, – Four-star offensive lineman Sean uh, Woods, uh, four-star quarterback Sam Horn, uh, four-star running back Tavoris Jones. I mean, they they have a lot of solid commitments here, and it's going to be really interesting to see how they can take uh, all the success on the recruiting trail 
and uh, develop it and put it on the field in the future years. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Missouri is one of those schools you're never going to view them as a go-to favorite in the SEC or whatever it might be. But they've proven they won in the SEC. You know, their first couple of years, but if I remember correctly, their first two years in the conference, they won the SEC East. And they've had good seasons since then. So if Missouri can continue to recruit <clears throat> at this kind of level, they are going to be a school that moving forward could potentially play themselves in being maybe the third best program in the SEC East behind Florida and Georgia and really be a thorn in the side to a lot of SEC powers. 100%. 100%. And, uh, yeah, well, I think we can move on then into uh, the Week 8 slate. So we'll go through all the top 25 games and uh, then see if there's any G5 games we want to touch Not G5, non-top 25 games we want to touch on. Um, you know, if you're a return listener, you know how we do this. We go through this as the games will be played, starting uh, uh, usually Thursday or Friday through the end of Saturday. Like I said at the top, we already previewed Wednesday night's game between App State and Coastal Carolina, as well as Thursday's game between SMU and Tulane on uh, our last podcast, just because we weren't sure when we were going to be able to record. Um, for those who missed it, both me and Marty, or Marty and I, I should say, uh, picked SMU to win and cover their 14-point spread against 1-5 uh, Tulane this week. Um, and that's going to take us into, I believe, Saturday is the first, is the next top 25 game. And that's going to be between number two, Cincinnati, and Navy. Um, Cincinnati here is a big favorite, 28 points. Uh, Navy 1-5 this season, coming off a loss to uh, Memphis, while UCF, of course, last week um, took care of business against UCF, 56-21. Marty, I, I like Cincinnati in this one. I, I don't think we have to talk about this one too deep. Uh, Cincinnati is the much more talented team here. They're playing like the number two team in the country, unlike uh, the former number two team in the country. And, uh, yeah, I think maybe Navy can cover here just because uh, the triple option can take some time off the uh, the clock quite a bit. But this, this Cincinnati rush defense hasn't exactly been – uh, bad this season. They're, they are allowing 123 yards on the ground per game, which isn't stellar, but uh, I, I don't think Navy's going to run all over the Cincinnati uh, uh, defense. No, I agree. I don't think the midshipmen are going to run all over them or anything. Um, <clears throat> I do think with the triple option, this could be a game that's closer than people expect. could be a game where we see Navy cover. But at the same time, as I've said all along about Cincinnati and what Cincinnati, to their credit, has done, if you want to make that push to college football playoff, you don't just need to win. You need to blow teams out. And I have no doubt that's what Luke Fickle and company will be looking to do, especially now that things look pretty good for Cincinnati and potentially making the playoff. So I think the Bearcats get it done. I don't know if they cover, but I definitely think it's a game they win handily. I definitely could see a, like, 35 to 14 kind of game where they don't cover, but at the same time, Cincinnati is never really a threat of losing. I, I do agree with that assessment of the game. Just the triple option is just, I, I don't like to bet against teams when they face a triple option offense, because it, there's so many variables that can change the course of the game. And um, 
I should say I don't like betting spread. Um, and I, I'm not going to bet this game. I, I, I'll say right now Cincinnati wins um, but does not cover just because of the triple option. That game, of course, on twelve at 12 p.m. on ESPN2 on Saturday. Uh, 12 p.m. on ESPN, number three, Oklahoma, goes on the road to uh, Lawrence, Kansas, take on the Jayhawks. Uh, the Sooners looked great last week with Caleb Williams as a starting quarterback in a 52-31 win over TCU. Kansas, on the other hand, lost their um, seventh, uh, I mean, fifth straight game, uh, 41-14 at Texas Tech. Uh, another game we shouldn't spend much time on, Oklahoma here at 30-and-a-half-point favorite. I like Oklahoma to win and cover this game. I think, they, I think they're a threat to put up 60-plus um, points in this one. Uh, and I, I'm – Without this Oklahoma defense has been playing for the majority of the year um, and going against this uh, putrid Kansas team, I think this could be a a absolute um, annihilation of Kansas. Yeah, I agree. Um, the, the Sooners get this done easily. This is a game that Kansas thinks Oklahoma's good. Oklahoma finally has their quarterback again and Caleb Williams. I would not be surprised either if Oklahoma hangs 60-plus on the Jayhawks. I wouldn't be surprised if they hang 70 on this Jayhawks team. And uh, I'm, and that's how much more so a believer of Caleb Williams than anything. Um, all right, moving on. 12 p.m. Fox, big, big noon uh, kickoff here. Um, number six, Michigan, 23.5-point uh, favorite over uh, the 3-3 three three Northwestern Wildcats who um, – have been sneakily average at times this year, but nothing nothing to write home about either. Um, Northwestern playing good defense as usual this year, but this Michigan team uh, has been – I mean, they're not always winning pretty, but they're getting the job done week in and week out. Their defense is playing well. Their offense is doing what it has to do. I like Michigan to win this one. I do not like Michigan to cover. I do not like them to cover that thir- 23 and a half point spread, but I do think they're never um, probably in a doubt of winning this one. Yeah, that's where I'm at. Um, I don't think there's ever a point in this game where you think Michigan is going to lose, <clears throat> but you combine the fact that Northwestern has been playing better in recent weeks with them having a good defense, and I still don't trust this Michigan offense a whole lot. I definitely think that Northwestern covers the 23 and a half point spread. I think this could be a real ugly slop fest, you know, like a uh, 20 to 3, 20 to 6, something something ugly along those lines. Sure. Uh, I could definitely see a final score in that area just because this Northwestern team, even when Northwestern isn't a good team, they're always a scrappy team and always, if you're not, if you're not playing your A game, they, they will make you sweat it a little bit here and there. I don't think they necessarily make Michigan sweat, like I said, but uh, I, I definitely think this could be a scrappy and ugly game, uh, especially, I mean, this is an 11 p.m., I mean, 11 a.m. kick. I actually saw it at Michigan, uh, so it's not 11 a.m. kick, but uh, still, a noon game, Big Ten. Uh, those games tend to be ugly, especially as we get closer and into November. Uh, 12 p.m. ABC, number seven, Penn State host, Illinois. Penn State, a 24-point favorite here. The big news out of State College Day is Sean Clifford was seen on the practice field 
Uh, still don't know if he's going to play this weekend. I expect that he probably does not play. Uh, I, I would be shocked if he wasn't dressed. I think if, God forbid, they would need him, that he this would be a situation that he, he would play if needed. But I don't think uh, they are planning on playing, playing him this week. Uh, that being said, at 24 points, this is a tough one because if Penn State starts a Taquan Roberson or a Christian Velu, I'm just not sure I'm a big enough believer in the offense to put up enough points because I think Illinois probably gets 7 to 10 points in this game. They could get shut out. But I think Illinois probably gets at most 10 points in this game. That means Penn State has to score 35, which is possible, but nothing what I saw out of Penn State against Iowa in the second half under Roberson, uh, with Roberson under center, I should say, uh, makes me believe in that offense with him. Um, so this is a tough one. I, I, I do like Penn State, obviously, to win outright. Um, but that spread, I, I don't really want to touch it. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think Cliff will definitely be dressed. I think he'll definitely be there as a uh, break glass in case of emergency situation. Um for those who don't know, Penn State plays Ohio State next week. So, obviously, if they're going to Sean Clifford to be as healthy as possible for that game. Um, <clears throat> I'm with you. I think the Nittany Lions win. I think the Nittany Lions win easily. That said, it wouldn't surprise me if they don't cover the spread. Um, I think, if nothing else, Penn State has struggled to run the ball this year against everybody except for Indiana. So, they're going to look to get that running game going. So, I could see a scenario where Penn State jumps out to like a 28 28- the nothing 28 to three kind of lead and they just run the ball almost every play just to try and get the running game in gear and as a result that cuts down on their offense and you see illinois cover because of that but yeah i don't know if the Nittany lions cover but i think the Nittany lions definitely co- comfortably win this game by 14 to 17 points if not more yeah that's right about where i'm at in terms of winning margin for penn state um definitely could see them winning by 24 plus, but um, just not a not a believer yet in Roberson or that offense without Clifford at this time. But we'll wait and see the way. I don't think Penn State's really in trouble of losing this one on Saturday. We move on then to um, number 16, Wake Forest host uh, going on the road, I should say, um, to uh, West Point to take on uh, the Army Black Knights at 12 p.m. This one, CBS Sports Network. Army, I mean, sorry, Wake Forest here, a three-point favorite. Army is a good team here, Marty, but Wake Forest has been playing some of the best football in the country this year, and I I think this spread is a little disrespectful to Wake Forest. They're averaging almost 40 points per game. They're only giving up 21 points per game, and on the other hand, Army, yes, good defensively. Offense is solid. Um, I guess the biggest question here is, will Wake Forest be able to stop, obviously, the Army Russian attack when Wake Forest has given up almost 175 yards per game on the ground. Um, it's definitely a scenario where I could see an upset here by Army, but I I also think that David Clawson will have his team ready to play this Army team. They, Wake Forest obviously was used to playing triple option against triple option uh, football teams before when uh, Paul Johnson was at Georgia Tech, so it shouldn't be any thing unfamiliar to that coaching staff and I, I just like Wake Forest here to win and cover this one probably by quite a bit 
Yeah, I, I can't really envision a scenario where Wake doesn't cover a three-point spread in this game. Um, I don't know what the over-under is. I think the under could potentially be a fun bet with just the triple option of Army. And I think Wake right now is in full-fledged like NCAA tournament kind of mode, like just survive. Get in, get a win, get out. Because if you're Wake Forest, um, you're probably, yes, you're undefeated, and you're an ACC school, but you're probably only going to make the playoff if you win the ACC and go undefeated. So because that, you don't care about style points. You just want to win and get out. I definitely think the Demon Deacons cover it. And, you know, I, like I said, I, I I would take the under in this game, but the, the points, give me Demon Deacons and the points. I think this is a game that Wake Forest wins, and they win, definitely win by more than three points. Like very, very quietly, Wake Forest is putting together one of the best seasons of any team in the country. And Dave Clawson definitely deserves to be in the conversation for National Coach of the Year. He, he absolutely does. He's right there at the top of my list. Uh, the other runner in this game, by the way, is 52 and a half, uh, which I, I do like the under in that. With that, I, I don't def- think. Yeah, definitely give me the under. Don't Because think- I was thinking like 27 to 14 wake, 31 to 14. Something like that. Yeah, 52 and a half, the under, that's easy money. That's easy money to lock it up, people. Go, go, go! Place your bet. Yeah, I would. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be shocked if the under is under forty-five total points, or, I mean, even if it ends up twenty thirty, I wouldn't. I mean, twenty ten, I wouldn't be uh, shocked either. I think this could be come uh, kind of a real, not even necessarily defensive battle, just just because the triple option takes so much time off the clock. I I think it, it could become very incredibly low scoring. Um, all right, we'll move on then. Uh, and that takes us to, if I can click it, uh, number 25, Purdue hosting uh, Wisconsin here uh, at 3 p.m. on the Big Ten Network. Um, Wisconsin here is a three-point favorite over the 25th-ranked Purdue Boilermakers, and I get it. Purdue doesn't have a great quarterback situation. It's an unsustainable quarterback situation playing two, sometimes three quarterbacks. Um, that being said, this Wisconsin offense is anemic, and I, th- their defense is susceptible to the big play, which we know Purdue can hit, especially through the air, with, uh, despite their quarterback situation, because they have uh, one David Bell. Yeah, this is an interesting one for me. Um, I, I mean, I do think push come to shove, Wisconsin has a more talent than Purdue. But Purdue's riding the high coming off the winning against Iowa. Um, <clears throat> but at the same time, you could see Purdue crash to the earth this week against Wisconsin. Um, I, I really, ultimately, I expect a lower scoring game in this one. And I think I pick Purdue because I think I could see this being similar to the Wisconsin-Penn State game where both defenses shine, but ultimately Penn State's ability to hit those big plays that Jahan Dotson and Keandre Lambert-Smith and Parker Washington proves to be the difference. Purdue's ability to hit the big play to David Bell proves to be the difference. The Boilermakers get the W, and they continue to march along, hoping for another Minnesota loss in order to get them to Indianapolis. All right. I I personally am going to take Purdue to win this one just because, I mean, that Wisconsin offense is bad. You look at any advanced numbers – it, I mean, they, they could do stuff on the ground. Still, they're averaging 207 yards on the ground. But, I mean, Graham Mertz is one of the worst quarterbacks in the entire uh, 
Power Five. I meant not Power Five in the entire country. He has two touchdown passes this year to seven interceptions. I know Purdue's uh, quarterback situation isn't great, but I'm I have much more belief in almost all three Purdue quarterbacks than I do um, Graham Mertz, and it's probably not even particularly close. Uh, so yeah, I'm going to take Purdue to win this one just because I I think if Purdue gets to 21, 24 points in this game, that there, there's no way Wisconsin can outscore them. Any other thoughts? All right, then we move on to 3.30 p.m. on Fox. Number eight, Oklahoma State travels to Ames to take on the Iowa State Cyclones, and this is another surprise in line. Iowa State, a seven-point favorite here over the top 10-ranked undefeated Cowboys. I mean, I get it. Part of this is that the Oklahoma State offense this year has has not been uh, up to standards that we expect out of uh, the Cowboys. That being said, uh, this Oklahoma State defense is uh, terrific. So is Iowa State's. And Iowa State has been uncareful at times with the ball this year. The special teams have been rough at times as well. And that's two areas where I think Oklahoma State – Oklahoma State could take advantage and uh, find a way to win this game. I don't even want to say find a way because I personally like Oklahoma State to win this game uh, uh, even on paper. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, The line really surprised me. Maybe seeing Iowa State as favorite isn't a total shocker because I know a lot of people have a lot of questions about Oklahoma State. We can understand both their offense. But that running game is really good. Spencer Sanders has been steadily improving, and that defense is solid. You know, maybe this is coming from my point of view of not being a big Iowa State believer in the preseason like a lot of people were. But I, th- I agree with you. I think Oklahoma State goes into Ames on Saturday and they get the job done. I, at this point, really do think we're going to get the bedlam to end all bedlams at the end of the year. 11-0 Oklahoma and 11-0 Oklahoma State with a rematch in the Big 12 championship game the following weekend looming. And that would be a lot of fun. And I really, I, I honestly think that's what we're going to get. So we give it the Cowboys. Yeah, I'm going to take the Cowboys, like I said, in this one. And I'm taking them outright. And at plus 220, that's a great, great odds to help boost some parlays this week. So, Definitely taking them. I wouldn't be shocked if Iowa State wins. Iowa State's still a talented team. I just, I think almost Oklahoma State is deserves quite a bit more respect than they're getting going into this game. So get, yeah, give me the, give me the Cowboys. Um, all right, we go to three thirty ABC. Number ten, Oregon goes on the road to LA to take on uh, the Bruin UCLA Bruins. Uh, and here's another top ten team. As a road underdog, which is UCLA, a two-point favorite here at home. And, again, this is another game where Oregon hasn't looked great as of late. But, I mean, the last two times we've seen this UCLA team play any team that has a quality heartbeat, uh, they, they've uh, they've given up 40 points and have lost both games. So I, w- I wouldn't be shocked if this is not our – Gain there where Oregon uh, goes out and uh, has I because I, I think Oregon's offense is going to improve now that Joe Moorhead has become uh, is getting back and with that program after 
you know, his uh, surgery a couple weeks ago. So I, I, I like Oregon here, uh, and I like them to win this by probably at least a field goal, if not more. See, this is one thing. I'm on the other end of it. I think UCLA gets the job done. Um, I'm just not a big believer in Oregon. How they beat Ohio State is still crazy to me. They just they don't have good quarterback play. Um, That's true. Their their running game has taken a big hit due to injuries. Just with the defense, yes, the defense is good. But if your offense struggles, that's going to hurt your defense. So I I think UCLA gets this done, and it will suck for the Pac-12 because once Oregon takes that second loss, I mean, I think at this point we all agree the Pac-12 is not making the playoff regardless. Correct. Once Oregon suffers a second loss, they will officially be done. And like I said in the recap show from last week, I think at this point the best team in the Pac-12 is Utah, and the second best team in the Pac-12 might be UCLA. You know, I think whoever emerges out of the South between those two winds up winning the Pac-12. And, yeah, I'm just – my dad is a big Oregon fan. He'd be very disappointed for saying this, but I just I'm not, I'm not a believer in the Ducks. I'm really not, and I just I, I don't see them going into UCLA and getting the win this weekend because I think this is a UCLA team that is still very overlooked and is going to be hungry to come out and continue to stay in that Pac-12 South fight. Yeah, see, similarly, like while while you're not a big believer in the Oregon offense, which I gotta say I'm not a huge believer in. Anthony Brown. At the same point, I'm not a huge believer in Dorian Thompson Robinson for UCLA as a guy who can go out and put up uh, a good performance against a real what is a really good Oregon defense. I know Oregon has some guys beat up there, but there's still a lot of talent on that defense, and it, it's an incredibly tough defense to score on. So I, I I think this is a really interesting matchup. I don't think either team runs away with it. Uh, and I think it's truly a coin flip, but I'm I, I do like Oregon right now to win. Uh, but I mean, I, I'm glad we we actually disagree on a game. We we rarely do. Uh, but that being said, three thirty CBS number twelve Ole Miss host four and three LSU. LSU of course got uh, came to an agreement this week with Ed Orgeron to part ways and after the season, uh, LSU here is a nine point underdog on the road at Ole Miss. Of course. Um, Matt Corral was questionable at one point this week to play in this game. I, I do not know his current injury um, status. Um, as of two days ago, he was not in very good shape. If Matt Corral plays, I may like almost to, to cover this spread, but if, if um, Corral is out, I, I do like LSU to possibly cover and I don't think they'll win outright, but I think they can make this a very, very close game. I mean, obviously it's not going to happen, but how hilarious would it be if LSU just won out? Yeah, that would, um, that would be hilarious. That, that would be hilarious. <laughs> hilarious. <clears throat> but like I said on this show the other night, I think LSU, once they beat Florida – the administration got a little spooked, and that's why they got this deal done to get Coach O out of there because they don't want to risk him either winning out or maybe only losing to Bama down the stretch and going 8-4, and 9-3, and three, not being able to fire him. Um, yeah, I'm with you. If Matt Corral plays, Ole Miss is my pick. When Matt Corral is healthy, I think Ole Best Miss – Best quarterback is, in the nation. 
Yeah, yeah, and and at worst, I think Ole Miss is the fourth best team in the SEC. Um, obviously behind Bama and Georgia, and I think A and M, Ole Miss, Auburn's are a coin flip for the third spot. But yeah, even if even if Crow's out, I mean Lane Kiffin, Lane's a great coach. Obviously, I think Ole Miss is a lot more to play for than LSU at this point. Because if you're Ole Miss, you're just once Bama lost to A&M, that opened up your door. You just sit there and you wait. You keep taking care of business, hoping Bama slips up somewhere to open the door for you to potentially get to Atlanta and get to the college football playoff. And if not, if you went out and even if Bama wins out, you're still going to a, to a New Year's Six Bowl at that point. Sure. For Ole Miss, is a huge deal, especially in year two under Lane Kiffin. So yeah. I, I think the Rebels are going to come out ready to play. If Corral plays, I definitely think they win this game. Without Corral, I think it's close. It would stun me to see LSU win. But even without Matt Corral, I still think I would slightly lean towards the Rebels on Saturday. Yeah, just because how many explosive players this offense has. And, you know, they just get uh, – who's the backup? John Reese Plumley. Yeah, and that's the thing. You have a backup who's a ton of starting experience and has a ton of experience of being an electric playmaker for you. Like, it's not like you're going from, you know, Sean Clifford to Taquan Roberson. Exactly. You, you have a very quality backup, a backup who has won games in the SEC. So I'm sure Lane would be able to devise a game plan to use the, the running ability of John Reese Pumley to go out there and take down LSU. Yeah, that's how I feel. And at the same time with it is, I I guess the only thing with LSU that you have to watch is now that we know about Orgeron is the, the players are going to want to fight for their coach a little bit more now that it's the last few games with him. And Orgeron, Orgeron is going to have an effort attitude and he, he's going to do whatever it takes to win games just to win games and go out on a high note. So, I mean, th- there is that bit of a wild card factor for LSU, but I, I do think Ole Miss is the pick here to definitely win outright, but I wouldn't bet the um, spread in this game until we find out who exactly is going to be playing at quarterback for Ole Miss on Saturday. So this will be a true uh, game-time decision betting-wise. That takes us to 3.30 ESPN, number 23, Pittsburgh. is a favorite over the 4-2 Clemson Tigers by three points. First time in, I think, seven years. Clemson is an underdog to an a- ACC and a, a yeah an ACC opponent, uh, which is just amazing to think about, and a little bit more amazing to the fact that it is Pittsburgh who uh, is that a uh, favorite. But I mean, I do agree with this spread. I think Pittsburgh is the better team right now. They have one of they have one of the top five offenses in the entire country. Their defense is playing very good, only allowing twenty points per game, and. You look at that good pit defense against what is one of the worst offenses in the country in Clemson, and I mean you gotta like that matchup if you're Pittsburgh because uh, DJU hasn't shown you anything this year that makes you think he's going to be able to perform at a high level against one of the country's better defenses, especially when he just struggled against Syracuse. Well, I agree with absolutely everything you said. As someone who lives. 60 miles from the city of Pittsburgh is someone who, even though I'm not a Pitt fan, <clears throat> consumes a lot of Pitt football. It's Pitt. It's yeah. Pitt. It's Pat Narduzzi. This 
this is the moment we've seen it so many times for Pitt. And I think they're at like 34 or 35 straight seasons with the least three losses. And we've seen it so many times that stretch rather was, you know, 2009 against Cincinnati or I mean, shoot so many years in his big East, so many seasons, in his big East years where the conference was there for the taking and they were yep. there and they failed to do it until Pitt does it. I just, I can't believe in them, especially with Pat Narduzzi. I think Clemson somehow, some way goes into Heinz field and gets a win. Um, at some point, the talent advantage for Clemson is going to start to take over again. Sure. And that's where I'm at for Saturday. Now, if Pitt wins this game, am I going to be surprised? No. I wouldn't be surprised if Pitt blows them out. I think Penny, Kenny Pickett has played as well as almost any quarterback in the country this year. Yeah. That said, as someone who, like I said, I live 60 miles from that campus, I've seen this time and time and time again with this program over the course of the last 20 years, 20 plus years, really, this is the kind of game for Pitt when the opportunity to seize it and emerge as a true contender is there, they find a way to lose. And if they find a way to win on Saturday, good on them for proving so many of us wrong. Because I can tell you from living in the Pittsburgh market, there are a lot of people around here, dire Pittsburgh fans, who would tell you, they're a better team than Clemson right now. They should win this game, but it's Pitt. They will find a way to lose. I, I was going to say, uh, based off based off everything we've seen this season, like uh, on the same level of this is right now, there, you can't tell me on paper Pitt should win the ACC this year. They're the best team in that conference in terms of how they're playing so far this year, even better than Wake Forest, but. Like and I, I've been waiting to make that bet, but at the same time, it's like I don't trust Pitt, like you said. And yeah, part of me really doesn't trust Pitt to win this game because of basically what you said. They 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 are in this position time and time again, but ultimately always fail. That being said, I mean, I guess really the matchup that's going to decide this is the Pitt offense against Clemson's defense because that Clemson defense is still. It, it, it's the reason they've won four games this year. Um, but, I mean, if Pitt – how many points does Pitt have to score in this game, do you think, to guarantee victory? 20, 23, 24? I think if Pitt gets to 28, they're good. Clemson's offense has struggled. But, again, to me, it's like it's Pitt. They, they find ways to lose these games. Yeah. I mean, I, again, to go back to that 2009 game against Cincinnati – that thing was freaking signed, sealed, delivered, and with less than a minute to go, they give up a kickoff return to Marty Gilliard, who was maybe the most electric playmaker in the country that year. Don't kick the ball to him. Kick it out of balance, for God's sake, because Cincinnati was down by six and needed a touchdown. And they kick it to Gilliard, and he runs it back, and the Bearcats win. Like, it's Pitt. This is what they do. They find a way to lose these games. Now, if they get to 28, I think they'll be safe. But, it, again, it wouldn't surprise me if this is the week where DJ Uyangale puts it together and explodes because Pat Narduzzi defenses have, have struggled against any sort of quarterback with a pulse in recent years. I mean, for God's sake, look at Western Michigan did to them earlier this year. It's true. And, you know, it's just, I don't know. The Penn State fan of me obviously hopes Clemson goes into Heinz Field Saturday and kicks the shit out of them. I don't expect that to happen. If Clemson wins, I think it's a close game. If it's a blowout, I 100% expect it to be Pitt. But again, it's Pitt. 
it's what they do is lose games like this when the opportunity is there to to take that next step as a program. And I think the Tigers find a way. But again, I won't be surprised if Pitt finds a way to get it done. All right, fair enough. Um, all right, we move on. 7 p.m. ESPN, number four, Alabama hosts Tennessee. It's It must be the third week of October, Marty. Uh, and Alabama is a favorite by 25 points here. Uh, that is a big, big spread. And uh, to be fair, this Tennessee team, as we said, has been playing pretty good football under um, Josh Heupel this season. That that being said, if Hendon Hooker – do we know Hendon, if Hendon Hooker is going to be ready to go? Because that injury that he suffered at the end of the Ole Miss game did not look great. Um, I have not seen anything. I'm Googling it here real quick. He's day-to-day per ESPN. Yeah, I mean, if you're a Tennessee, you better hope he plays because Joe Milton does not realize that on when you're at your own 22 with three seconds to go, a 12-yard scramble is not going to get done for you. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, 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 I think – Obviously, Bama wins this game number one. I think we agree with yes. that. But if yes. Hendon Hooker plays, I think Bama could definitely be in for a bit of a fight as opposed to if Joe Milton plays, where I think this could be another 49-9 game like last week. Yeah, if, if I, I see it as if Joe, if Joe Milton plays, this is going to be a blowout. If Hendon Hooker plays, um, definitely a chance for here for a cover by Tennessee. Uh, but Alabama is going to win this no matter what, because uh, uh, I think the Tide are still pretty pissed off after that loss, and they're going to do whatever it takes to get to uh, Atlanta in um, December, uh, so they can book their a potential trip to the College Bowl playoffs. That takes us to 7 p.m. on CBS Sports Network, number 22, San Diego State, on the road in. Uh, I guess at the Air Force Academy because is there an official town that the Air Force Academy is in? Let's let's do a quick Google search here. United States Air Force in Fort Collins, isn't it? I always thought it was in Fort Collins. Or am I totally yeah. wrong? Technically, the address is Air Force Academy, Colorado. Um, Immediately north of Colorado Springs. It was not in Fort Collins. That wasn't even oh. All right then. Uh, well, the mountains of Air Force of the Air Force Academy uh, will be the host of this game. San Diego State three and a half. Sorry, another another underdog. Sorry, another underdog top twenty five team here. Uh, Air Force a three and a half point favorite here over San Diego State. I have to say I did not realize Air Force is off to a six and one start this year, only allowing sixteen point three points per game. If this could be the team that finally knocks off San Diego State, I really am not going to try to BS my way through this game. I I don't know much about Air Force. haven't been paying attention that much. Um, San Diego State, I know somewhat about, but, um, yeah, I I really don't know which way to go with this one. I'm going to be completely honest. Yeah, I'm with you. I think San Diego State has done some good things this year, but ultimately the Aztecs are probably – might be the most fraudulent undefeated team in the country. Um, anytime you go against a triple sure. option team, it's not going to be easy. Excuse me, they'll have to deal with this week going there with Air Force. And Troy Calhoun is 
quietly one of the more underrated coaches in the country, I feel. A guy who I think if more power five teams who realize there's a ceiling on their program would commit to the triple option like they should, Calhoun would be a very coveted Kansas. Name. Yeah, Kansas, Washington State. Um, I, I think they'll, Illinois I'd throw in that list, honestly. Vanderbilt, Rutgers, there's a lot of schools. I mean, Duke. Rutgers, because they have Shiano, but – you know, there's definitely a lot of schools on that list, but I, I think that I, I could definitely see a scenario where San Diego State loses without knowing a whole lot about the both of these teams. I would probably pick the Aztecs to win, but it wouldn't stun me if they uh, go up there just slightly north of Colorado Springs on Saturday night and suffer a loss to the Falcons. Yeah, I, I don't think it would be shocking either. Um, and I'm just going to say what. Let's go with Air Force to win this one. Uh, I'll trust Vegas on this one because, uh, like I said, I can't BS my way through this game. Uh, I try not to BS my way through anything on this podcast. I try to give my honest opinion of what I know. And uh, if I don't know it, I'm not going to try to tell you I do. Um, that being said, next game up, uh, 7 p.m., not televised uh, as of right now. Maybe it'll end up on ESPN+. Plus. Number 24, UTSA on the road against Louisiana Tech. In uh, Ruston, um, UTSA, six-and-a-half-point spread here. I like UTSA to cover that six-and-a-half points. Louisiana Tech's two and four this year, giving up a ton of points, uh, 31 points per game right now. They're, they do have a good offense, but this UTSA defense has been stellar this year. Um, I see no reason UTSA shouldn't cover this one. Uh, I've been you know hammering UTSA all year. Uh, I love the Roadrunners. Love Sincere McCormick. think he's one of the best running backs in the country, and I think they continue to uh, run through their schedule this week. Well, Dylan, with you being the biggest UTSA stan who does not live in the state of Texas, um, I can't go against you. Give me the Roadrunners. Sincere McCormick is a dude. I think they get the W and the stand defeated. All right, 7 p.m., 7.30 p.m., ABC. Indian, Indian. How does Indiana, by the way, keep ending up in these uh, Saturday night games? Uh, Indiana that, plays that's host. A great question. Tom, Tom Allen has got dirt or nudes or something on somebody. They, they were on it. They were in, they were on prime time a couple of weeks ago. Penn State lost twenty four nothing. Now they're they're probably going to get their butts kicked again this week by Ohio State. But number five Ohio State on the road in Bloomington, twenty one point favorites here. Uh, the Ohio State offense has looked really good the last few weeks once C.J. Stroud got quote-unquote healthy since they said he rested with a shoulder injury that one week. Um, defensively, they look better as well. That being said, they really haven't been tested either. This Indiana team will test them, will test that offense because this is a quality Indiana defense, but, uh, I mean, this Indiana offense on their hand, it hasn't been good all year, so... Um, I, I don't really know how much of a barometer we could use this for Ohio State as they head back home to play Penn State next week. And on the other hand, you can't really judge Penn State when they play Illinois this week. So uh, next week's Ohio State-Penn State, Penn State game should be interesting. But with this Ohio State game, I like the Buckeyes to win, and I like them to cover, especially if Jack Tuttle starts at quarterback for Indiana. Even if Penix starts, I think Ohio State covers. Yeah, I think Ohio State covers. I also think this is a game. It wouldn't surprise me to see Indiana get the back to recover late. Um, I think Ohio State gets up a 21, 24, 28-point lead, and they go into coast mode with Penn State next week. 
Um, <clears throat> again, like I said, Penn State did the same thing as Illinois. You build that two-score lead, and you start pulling guys. You start resting guys because, you know, since 2016, the biggest game in the Big Ten, you're out, you're in, you're out. It's been Penn State, Ohio State. It's next week. Neither of these teams are going to want to risk getting injuries the week before, especially when the week before they're both playing, you know, very inferior opponents. So I think the Buckeyes win. I would pick them to cover, but like I said, due to my belief that you're going to see Ryan Day and company call off the dogs early, get a lot of regulars out of there, get them as much rest as they can with with the Nittany Lions looming, it wouldn't shock me to see Indiana sneaking that back to recover, you know, make it something 31 to, to 14. Sure. 28 to 13, something like that. Sure. Sure. That, that, and that does make sense. I, I do subscribe to the theory that they'll probably call off the dogs on this one pretty uh, sometime in midway through the third quarter. But I also think at that point it could it could be like 35 nothing, and I don't know if Indiana can score enough to cover at that point. So I'll, I'll take Ohio State to win and cover this one. Uh, and that takes us to uh, 7.30 on NBC, number 13 Notre Dame, host USC. Notre Dame is a, um, let's see here, six-and-a-half-point favorite here. I do like USC to cover this, actually. I know USC has been pretty bad this year, but I I do like them to cover this one. This Notre Dame offense hasn't been great all year. USC doesn't have a spectacular defense, but I don't think this USC offense is going to be explosive enough. Sorry, the Notre Dame offense is going to be explosive enough to put up a ton of points on USC either. So I do like USC to cover, but I do think Notre Dame wins this one outright. I mean, by no means am I a believer in the fighting Irish this year. I think this is the worst team that in a few years. Quarterback play being a big part of it. Um, that said, I do think that Notre Dame wins this game and covers in the process. I'm just, I think this USC team, there's not much left in the play for. They don't have any idea what the coaching situation is going to be. I wouldn't be surprised at all to see them just completely just stink it up down the street. That, that, I think that is extremely fair. I, and that's how part of me wants to go with it. But, but I still think there's potential there for USC to have a big game. They usually – that's what they do too. They, they have these clunkers. They're through midseason. They don't look like anything special. They look like they're struggling again. And then they have a big game. You're like, oh, where's this been all season? And then they finish off hot. Um, I think that could happen. I don't think it will. But I think they play well enough to cover it. But obviously not win outright. Uh, 7.30 p.m. SEC Network, number 17. Texas A&M takes on South Carolina. Uh, A&M here is a 20.5 point favorite. Zach Calzada is still a quarterback for the Aggies. Wasn't great last week, but did enough for the Aggies to get a 35-14 win in Columbus against Missouri. Uh, I don't necessarily think uh, Calzada is going to have a good game this week. I, I Still not a huge believer in this A&M offense week to week, but I think they're going to do enough. Still probably score 35 points in this game at least. And take down South Carolina. South Carolina four wins here in Beaver in Beamer's first season is solid, uh, but there's still a lot of work to be done uh, down there in um, in Columbia, in uh, Columbus, Columbia, Columbia. 
Yeah, no, I'm with you. A lot of work to be done in Columbia. Um, you know, I'm not totally sold on Shane Beamer as a coach either. I think Texas A&M gets this win. I think they win it easily. And, yeah, you know, I think the Aggies are just a much better team, and they're going to be still riding high off that uh, Alabama victory. So give me the Aggies. And our final top 25 game, number 18, NC State, is a three-point favorite on the road against Miami here. Uh, De'Ara King, I believe, is out for the season, which means Tyler Van Dyke is the quarterback there. Miami last week with Dyke lost 40 – Van Dyke lost 45-42. Um, yeah, this Miami team is not good. Uh, we know, we've know we known that all year. They're now 2-4. and four. Manny Diaz is uh, going to be on his way out. NC State, on the other hand, 5-1, and one, winners of four straight. Give me the Wolfpack here to win. Give me the Wolfpack here uh, to cover. Yeah, I'm with you. Give me the Wolfpack to win. I think they win big. I think they cover. Um, I just think it's totally different culture, totally different programs. Miami looks like an absolute just toxic culture and toxic program. Meanwhile, Dave Doran has cultivated one of the best cultures and one of the best programs in the country at NC State. Give me the Wolfpack to win easy and win big in this one. All right. Well, that's all the top 25 games this week. Uh, going through the uh, non-top 25 games quickly just to see if there's anything that stands out. And right now, I really don't see anything that – I mean, Kansas State versus Texas Tech, that's an interesting one. Texas Tech, a one-point favorite here over Kansas State. Kansas State hasn't looked great this year. Texas Tech, I thought Matt Wells was going to need a big season, a bowl, to get up to a bowl game, maybe seven wins to keep his job and to his credit the red raiders are improved this year at five and two and i think uh this is a big game for them uh can against kansas state uh it could be their sixth win and with oklahoma uh iowa state oklahoma state and baylor the rest of the way this may be their last chance at a win um any thoughts on on this game No, um, I'm with you on Kansas State. They, uh, it really is unfortunate for them. <clears throat> Injuries, I think, have really taken a toll on that team. Um, I think Chris Kleiman's a good coach. And, yeah, I think if, if they do want to salvage anything this season, the Wildcats better hope that they get a victory on Saturday because if they don't win this one, like, man, things are things are going to be tough for them down the stretch. And, I think they're going to have a hard time getting to bull eligibility regardless, but they really better hope they take care of this. Cause you know, they're going to be Kansas that puts them at four and the other remaining games are TCU, Western Union, Baylor, Texas. None of those are guaranteed. So if they might have a shot at six. They got to win on Saturday. Yep. Uh, 12 and that game, by the way, 12 PM on FS one. Uh, another game that stands out to me is Syracuse, Virginia tech, 1230 PM ESPN three, Virginia tech at three and a half point favorite here. I like Syracuse to win this one. I just there's Virginia Tech has they got that big win over North Carolina to start the season, but since then they've been mostly lifeless. And the Syracuse team, while it's not good, at least has some life. And I mean, Justin, I I, I put it out on Twitter this week. Uh, after this season, Justin Fuente has to be out of in Blacksburg. It looked like a good hire, but it it's been a complete disaster since he's taken over. It's amazing he's still there, but I mean. I don't think – I think they're going to struggle to get to bowl eligibility, maybe completely miss bowl eligibility, and I just don't know how you bring them back another season. 
Now I'm with you on Fuente. I said before the season, for those who remember, the season goes one of two ways. Fuente's awesome and leaves for a better job, or Fuente bombs and is fired. And unfortunately for Virginia Tech fans, it seems like the latter. Um, I think they get the job done Saturday. Syracuse's quarterback play is just so freaking bad. But That's it true. wouldn't shock me to see the Orange get that W. And let me see if there's any other game. Here's an interesting line. BYU, a four-and-a-half-point favorite over Washington State. I guess the big the big wild card here is uh, in the NFL, college football, the one thing you tend to see is when a team loses their head coach, they tend to win the next week. That being said, this BYU team is only, what, two weeks removed from being – were they top ten or were they – they were number ten? I, they're borderline at least. They were close. I mean, I know they're definitely like top twelve or thirteen, if not top ten. Yeah, they they were a borderline top ten team a couple weeks ago, and now they're not not ranked in a three and a half point favor of a team that just lost their head coach. Like I just I don't see it. Uh, I I think BYU covers that game pretty easily. Yeah, I'm with you. Even if Nick Rolovich was coaching, I would pick BYU to win this game and cover without Rolovich and his staff. Definitely give me the the. Uh, I guess I shouldn't say give me the Cougars. Give, give me the Cougars from uh, from Provo, not the Cougars from Pullman. And I think that's that. That's it. So that's all the games I think worth discussing this week. Uh, any other thoughts on this week called football, Marty? I don't think so. Um, like I said last week, you know, we're, we're getting down to the end of October, everybody. Enjoy your weekends. Enjoy your college football Saturdays. Because as long as the wait is for the season to get it, the season flies by and you know, give it another month, and before you know it, we'll be closing on the end of college football season. So uh, enjoy it. These these fall Saturdays are just wonderful and special and so much fun. They're quickly going by. I couldn't have ended this episode any better. Thank you, everybody, for listening to another episode of the College Football 365 podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast, rate the podcast. Um, follow us on social media at collegefb underscore 365. Twitter, Instagram, everything else. You can find our individual Twitters on there as well. Um, yeah, and, and be sure to share the podcast. Help get us some more listeners. We're, we are getting up there in uh, – we're, we're growing our listenership base, I should say. Uh, and uh, it, it's great to see, and we'd like to continue to do so. So continue to share the podcast and let people know about it. Uh, but besides that, everybody, have a great weekend. Enjoy the weekend of college football. And, Uh, We'll talk to you guys on Sunday.